Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Started, we started this series last week on the book of Hebrews, part one. Uh, we covered the first section of this letter or this sermon that this author has written to a church. And uh, we're learning it and we're going through it. We're leaning in. I believe it's going to help a lot of us as we go through it. So we covered the first section. We're going to cover the second section, which are chapters three and four today. And uh, it's a full-on study for the next several weeks here at Calvary. And as we study this, we're going to grow. I'm only going to read a few verses and then we're going to talk about the second section together. Hebrews chapter three. Go to Hebrews chapter three. We're going to read the first six verses. If you're there, can you say amen? Okay, the word of the Lord says this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, and our boasting in our hope. Out of Hebrews chapter three, this is the beginning six verses of this second part, second section of this sermon that this author is writing, and he's writing to a church of Hebrew Christians living in possibly Italy. And last week we learned that these Hebrew Christians, they had been following Jesus, but they were tempted to look away. Last week we we talked about part one, how Jesus is a better communicator. Somebody say communicator. That's what we learned in part one. Today, I'm going to talk to you out of this title, Jesus, the better deliverer. Jesus, the better deliverer. And uh, on that Bible study that you got that we printed out for you, there's some space there to write notes. If not, grab a phone or grab a piece of paper, write down some notes. We're going to have this conversation over the next several weeks, and let's grow and mature together. Before we cover the second section, let's close our eyes, let's pray. Let's ask that the Holy Spirit would use Hebrews in our life today to speak life and stir faith in Calvary. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you already for the first service and people that came and people that connected all over the world. Thank you for the second one. I pray, God, today for this household of faith, Calvary. I pray that you would keep speaking to us, Jesus, that we would know you and see you better as we go through this letter. Thank you, God, for preserving this letter so that we would have it today and it will speak life to our soul. God, thank you for loving people like us. We can't earn it or deserve it, but you've been good to us. We love you and we thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus that all of Calvary says. Amen. Oh, come on. All of Calvary says. Amen. Can you make some noise for Jesus one more time? <laughs> on August 7th, 1974, 
a high wire performer named Felipe Petit decided to climb the World Trade Center and he, him and a couple of friends went up with some wires and with a bow and arrow he crossed from one tower to another and they made sure the wire was, steady, uh, were st was sturdy and prepared as he decided to go out on the wire. And that morning around 6 a.m., he started high wire performance. And possibly for about 30 to 35 minutes against the winds and the weather, he crossed from one tower to another almost eight times. Over a thousand feet in the air, it looked like he was walking on the air. Now, I looked into high wire performers and how they do this, and they've interviewed several of them, and they talk about that. One of the things, one of the tactics that they do is that they practice literally for days, months, years in all kinds of weather conditions, whether it's rainy, whether it's windy. One said that he literally has family pushing him, trying to push him off the wires as he's performing in his backyard, trying to make sure he stays sturdy and centered on the wire he's walking. One of the tactics that they do as well is that they bend their knees to bring down the center of gravity to, of their body as close as possible to the wire because the more centered over the wire they are, the less likely they fall over. I started thinking about that today because I was wondering, and I got a question for all of us this morning, what is our life centered on? What is our life focused on, our full attention, our centeredness of our life, of our soul, of our spirit, are we really truly centered on Jesus? Is our whole being centered over him? Life is full of all kinds of opposition, of the winds and the waves of this world, of the problems, the dilemmas, the griefs. Life will try to push us off the wire. And if we're not careful, our eyes, not just our physical eyes, but our spiritual eyes or the eyes of our soul, how the ancients would say, they go left and right and they go to the problems of this world and we are off-centered and we tend to fall and it weakens our faith. Be careful where you place the eyes of your soul. In fact, I put it this way this morning, deceiving sight leads to decreasing faith. What your eyes see, if we're not careful, we look at the winds and the waves and the problems of this world and if we're not careful, we will think that our problems are greater than our Savior. And this problem that I'm in, this stress, this dilemma that I'm up against is way bigger than my God. And I don't know if God can handle this. And all of a sudden, we'll find ourselves with weakened faith. I don't know about you, but I've been there where I go through moments in life and I'm faced with opposition in life. And I tend to give more power to my problem than to my Savior. And all of a sudden, we forget about how good God is. We forget about how powerful the anchor, the wire that I should be centering my life on. And I'm looking at everything else but my God. And when that happens, we tend to give up on God, give up on Jesus, and we go back to trying to do things on our own. Well, Jesus, you're taking too long to fix this, so I'm just going to go handle this on my own. God, I've been single for way too long, so I'm just going to marry the first person I see. God, you're taking too long to fix my family, so I'm just going to go try to find a solution on my own. God, I'm trying to wait for provision from you, but I'm going to go find a job even if it takes me away from church. God, I'm going to get disconnected from community because I'm centering my life on counterfeit gods, thinking that they'll bring me peace more than trusting the anchor and the wire that will sustain me and hold me as I walk to my destiny. 
And we give of the faith. You know what that does? That actually leaves us weaker in our mind than in our spirit. That actually increases anxiety of the soul. Because all we're trying to do is fix things on our own instead of trusting King Jesus. And so it leaves us sleepless. It leaves us stressed out. It leaves us anxious. And all we have to do is look around the world today and see this is how the world is living. We're stressed. We can't sleep. We can't function. We're taking things to go to sleep. We're taking things to come out of sleep. We're taking things to focus. We're trying to take things so that we don't focus on a million things at once. Then we're trying to take things so that we don't forget the million things. Then we're trying to take more things and more pills to take us back to sleep. Our world is in dysfunction at an all-time high of anxiety and stress. And I believe it's because we got counterfeit gods in our life instead of walking the wire and the anchor that is Jesus. And if I center my life on him, I'll trust him. He's got me. He'll never let me go. And so today, what are we trusting? What are we centering our life on? I want to remind you today, in spite of how you walked in here, how you're listening to this, you can trust him. You can trust Jesus in spite of the opposition, in spite of distractions, detractors, takers, consumers. There's one that doesn't want to take. He wants to build your life. He loves you. He wants to give you hope, love, peace, and joy. His name is Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. In fact, today I put it this way. If you have full trust, then you can have true peace in your soul. If I fully trust, if I fully center my life on the anchor, the, the wire of my soul, I will have true peace. True peace is not found in this world. It's only found in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, he, he's going now to the second part of this letter. Really, it's a sermon that he's writing to a church. And he's going to go now into the second part of the letter. Remember the audience that he's writing to. He's writing to Christians who have left Judaism and they, de they decided to follow Jesus. And so they've left the practices of the synagogue, of sacrifices, of talking to priests, and they're following Jesus. They're possibly in Italy from what we read in the letter. And you can imagine they're all in a house and they're waiting for this letter to come from one of the apostles or disciples and they're excited to read it. And he's encouraging them because to be a follower of Jesus in these times, it was not cool. It was not cool. It was not popular. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to church. Oh, that's awesome. Let me go with you. In fact, they were shunned by family and friends. They were ostracized from society. Some of them were being persecuted and kicked out of their homes and churches and gatherings, possibly having to meet in secret to talk about Jesus. It was hard being a Christian. And because the pressure was on, they were tempted to leave the ways of Jesus and go back to Judaism. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up on Jesus because this is way too difficult. I'm going back to the synagogue, back to sacrificing goats, sheep, and bulls, back to talking to priests because following Jesus is too difficult. And he's writing to them and he's saying, don't look back, don't go backwards, keep moving forward. Keep trusting Jesus, he's got you, Jesus is the only answer. 
That's literally what the book of Hebrews is all about. In fact, if you were here last weekend, we talked about how the book begins. The book literally begins by talking about how amazing Jesus is. There is no introduction. Hi, my name is Paul. Hi, my name is Peter. What's up is Luke. Say what's up to everybody. No, it's just saying, hey, in many times and in many ways through different days back then, he spoke through prophets, but now God has spoken through his son, Jesus. He's awesome. He's superior. He's excellent. What an introduction. This is how the letter of Hebrews begins. He comes full blast at the beginning saying it's all about Jesus. And as he opens up the letter, he says Jesus is the better communicator. Oh, he communicated through prophets back in the day. Now he's speaking through Jesus. And then in the first section of the letter, he says Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels that you guys are going back to worship. Jesus is our brother, our priest who has defeated death. This is King Jesus. And he's trying to encourage them. Jesus is better than all that that you're going back to. Keep looking to Jesus. He moves on to the second part of this letter. And let's read one more time how he begins this second section. Hebrews chapter 3. Listen one more time to how he begins the second part of this sermon. He says, therefore, since Jesus is greater than prophets, angels, he's a priest, a brother, he's defeated death. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus, having been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house, has more honor than the house itself. Okay, this is how he begins the second section. Now, if you're like me, and we're first reading this, we're like, it's awesome. What does it mean? <laughs> it's great. What? in the world is he talking about remember these christians are possibly meeting in homes scared to be found out they're followers of jesus they're reading this letter and he says hey he's better than angels he's better than prophets he, he is the better communicator consider jesus now he starts off the second section by saying consider jesus consider jesus doesn't just mean hey think about jesus every now and then in the greek it literally means to pause, center your life on him, put your full focus and attention and wait on Jesus. That's literally what he means. He's telling these Hebrew Christians, don't just glance at Jesus. Don't just casually think about Jesus. Don't take Jesus casually because he's better than everything. In other words, an hour a week of thinking about Jesus won't do it. 35 minutes of us gathering here talking about Jesus will not help your soul. You need to consider Jesus. You need to center your life on him. Pull your full weight on him. It literally means to constantly have him before you. When you go to sleep tonight, think about Jesus. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I want to think about is not Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I want to think about Jesus. When I go to sleep on a Wednesday, I don't want to have CNN or Fox News. I want to have the Word of God in my soul as I think about, constantly have before me, center my life on the wire, the anchor that is Jesus. That's going to help your soul. I know times are hard. I know that they're ostracizing you in society. But as the pressure builds, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's how he's encouraging them. Today, are you thinking about Jesus, looking at him more than just 35 minutes on a Sunday? And then he's going to go into Moses and a house. Like what in the world 
is the author talking about here? Well, remember, it's a continuation of last week. Last week, he says, hey, he's better than prophets. God is now communicating through him. By the way, he's better than angels. I know you love the angels. I know you like precious moments angels. I know you like all kinds of angels, but Jesus is better than those angels. He, he's actually our brother. He's a priest. He's defeated death. And then he's going to go into talking about Moses. He's talking about Moses. He's talking about Moses and a house. And he says, Jesus is counted to more glory than Moses. Now, remember, he's writing to Hebrew Christians in a small gathering that are afraid to be found out. Their history is that Moses is their guy. Moses is their LeBron James. Mo Moses is their George Washington. Moses is their hero. Like Moses was the top, top, tippity top. Like nobody, that was their superhero. That was it. He was their superman. In Jewish culture, even to this day, there are some circles that worship Moses over than angels. And so he's saying, Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than prophets. Oh, and Jesus, he's better than Moses. To us, it may not be as shocking to them. <laughs> he's better than Moses? No, Mo Mo, that's my guy, Mo. Like, no, how can he be better than Mo? And he's going to explain why Jesus is better than Moses. This is why he brings up Moses as a servant, Jesus as a son, and a house that they both have served in. What is he trying to say? He's saying Jesus is building a house. Okay, as we start the second section... What can we apply? I pray that as you read Hebrews this week, you take a bunch of application points for your own life. Here are some that I think apply to us. Number one, that Jesus is building us. Jesus is building us. He says, Moses, he served in this house as a servant. But Jesus, oh, he's counted of more glory because he's a son. And you're way better off with the son than you are with the servant. Make sure you're hooked up with the son. Oh, because if you're with the son, you are going to be straight. Better off than the servant. Now, he's not dissing the servant. He's saying, oh, Moses was faithful in the house, but now the son has come. Me, me and Dana, we, we, like, we like going to this Italian restaurant. I love Italian food. Anybody like me? I love Italian food. It's my absolute favorite, and I, I wish I was Italian. You, you've heard. I have a friend that calls me, instead of Alex Sagatti, he calls me Alex Sagatti, right, because he knows how much I love Italian culture, Italian food, all of that. And we, we like going to this one restaurant. And several months ago, we were in this restaurant, me and Diana, we were eating. And uh, I was trying to get this specific plate that I had gotten before in this restaurant when the owner, the son of the owner, had hooked me up. That day, I hadn't seen the son. And so I'm asking the servant uh, if I can get the specific plate. And he's like, I, I'm not sure. Let me go ask. And I'm like, hey, no, no worries. He's doing his job. He's an incredible waiter. He's seen us there before. We have a good relationship with him. He's awesome. As soon as he went to go find out if I can get this plate, I looked across the room and I saw the son. He's the owner of the restaurant. He's the son of the owner. He, he basically owns the thing. And so I, I call him over to the table and I said, hey, man, I don't know what you gave me last time, but that chicken was bad. I mean, it was awesome. It was incredible. Is there any way I can have it again? He goes, sure. Sure, no problem. I'll bring it out in a moment. I'm like, oh, my God. Right? Because he doesn't have to ask nobody because he's the son. He's the owner. He's not a servant. He's a son. 
If you live your life with the son, you don't have to go by a servant. You go directly to the son. You're hooked up because of the son. You're forgiven by the son. You're picked up by the son. You're graced by the son, redeemed by the son. That's King Jesus. And so he says, Moses was great. Moses was awesome. We love Moses. Yes, we do. I love Moses. How about you? Moses was great. Moses was awesome. Moses was a good servant of the house. But what does a servant do? Um, A servant prepares for what's coming. And this is what he's saying. He says, hey, by the way, I I know you love Moses, but Moses was preparing things of somebody that was to come. A servant brings out the plate, cleans the table brings out the fine china. He makes sure the house is clean. But when the son shows up, oh, he takes full possession of the house. He builds the house. He gives out of his provision to the house. And he says, what Moses was preparing for was King Jesus. And the son is already here. And he's greater than Moses. He's awesome. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He's the one we look to. He's the one that we worship. It's King Jesus. And he says, they've both been part of the house. Why is he talking about a house? What is this house they're talking about? The house they're talking about is the people of God. It's you and I. Moses built a physical family in the desert. Jesus is building a spiritual family in the globe. Oh, Jesus is building his family. And because Jesus builds the house, doesn't serve the house, he builds the house, he deserves more glory. Look what he says. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory. Somebody say more glory. Then Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has honor than the house itself. Meaning the builder of the house gets all the credit more than a house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is. In other words, Jesus is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to things that were to be spoken of later. He was serving of a later time. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. We are his house. You and I are the house he's building. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Why does Jesus get more glory? Well, Kent Hughes, he put it this way. It was commonly held in ancient thought that an architect is greater than what he builds. So the central point here is that Jesus is superior to Moses because Jesus is the builder and Moses is part of the house. And he gives an example. Bramante and Michelangelo are greater than the great dome of their design. In other words, we don't go to Italy and see the great dome and we're like, this is awesome. This is incredible. All glory to this. We say, who built this? Oh, Bramante and Michelangelo. Whoa, I want to find out more about them. So when people see your life and my life, they're going to be like, whoa, this is awesome. Who built this? King Jesus is building our life. Come on, somebody. We're not good because of our efforts. We're good because he's been good to us. And he's building our life. It says he's building a spiritual family. He's building a house. In other words, he's building the church of Jesus Christ. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's building your life. He's building my life. When you wake up tomorrow, he's building you. When you go to sleep, he's filling you. When you go across your day, he's putting gifts and talents and the power of God over your life to build you up. God is into building people. 
And it says that we're all part of a spiritual family that he's building. Look what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Woo! We are part of the church that he's building. You are a living stone and I'm a living stone. We come to him dead in our sins, but he makes us alive and stone by stone, brick by brick, he's building his house. We get to be a part of that. I'll let you know today, this building is not the church. We are the church. Literally today, after the last service, when we pack up, clean up, and we go, the church has left the building. And the church goes out into the city. And tomorrow, wherever you go, you hold your head up high because he's building your life. And he's deposited gifts and talents, and you represent the family of God wherever you go because he's building your life. And when we gather together, you see the family. We gather on Sundays to see the building that he's building. It's our lives. And I look across, and I can know, I know the struggle they were in, but look at them. God has built them up. And you look across, and you look at my life, and I know what he's been through. God is building them up. Come on, all of us, we encourage one another. And we're being built up. Now, in the time that remains, I'll, I'll try to explain the rest of this section because it's profound, it's deep, and I pray you read through it this week through our study guide. But he says, you're part of this house that Jesus is building, and he's building us. We're the house. That's why Jesus is better than Moses because Moses built a physical family. Jesus built a spiritual family. But then he puts a condition. He says, well, you're a part of the house that he's building, just like Moses was a part of the house, if... Look at verse 6, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. If, somebody say if. You're a part of the house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And then he's going to go into the second warning of the book of Hebrews. Last week I told you the book of Hebrews has five warnings. The first warning last week was don't drift. He's going to go now and explain the second warning to them. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Skip down to verse 12 through 14. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, the second if, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay, he says this. Hey, we're all part of this house. He's building us. But you're a part of this house if you hold fast to the confidence. Do not harden your heart today if you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. For by it, some have sinned. Because of what? Because of unbelief. Unbelief in what? Unbelief in Jesus as the only one that can save us. He's saying, don't harden your heart. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to sacrificing animals. And in other words, stop trying to save yourself by your own merits and your own good deeds and your own works. That will never work. The only one that can save us is Jesus. Hold fast to that. What does he say now in the second second, second application? Number one, Jesus is building you. Number two, Jesus is keeping you. Jesus is keeping us. He's saying hold fast to this confidence and the boast in our hope. And then he goes to go and he quotes. 
Psalm 95, you got to go back and read Psalm 95. Psalm 95 talks about the people of God that left Egypt under Moses. They were going to the promised land. They saw the plagues in Egypt. They saw the Red Sea open. They walked through the Red Sea. They, they saw flipper and flounder on both sides. They walked on dry ground. They went over. They were about to enter the promised land. And what happened? They didn't believe God. God's like, after everything I've done, after all the miracles I've done, you still don't believe me? And it says they had unbelief in their heart. And you go back to Psalm 95, and it's, it's harsh. It says God loathed them. In other words, he, he couldn't stand them because they still didn't believe. Oh, after all the miracles I've done, after you see me do all this, you're going to stand there and not believe that I can take you to the promised land? Okay, you know what you're going to do? You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't, don't be like that. Don't, don't have disbelief in your heart that I'm God and what I say I will do. Because I'm not a man to lie and I'm not a man to go back on my words. And if I told you Jesus is the author and the finisher and that he saved us, by his blood we've been forgiven, by his resurrection we know that death is not the end, then you hold fast to that confidence and don't you go back. He's basically saying, keep on believing. Don't stop believing. In the words of Journey, don't stop. That's literally what he's saying. I want to tell you today, today we're not saved because of our works. We're saved because of his works. He's not saying strive to stay saved. Work hard so that you don't lose your salvation. He's not saying that. He's saying strive and work hard to keep believing he saved you, he is saving you, and he will save you in the end. That's basically what he's saying. What he's saying is this, the power is not in you, the power is in him. Can you trust the wire, the anchor, the power that is Jesus? Literally what he's saying is that it's power, not performance. Power, not performance. In other words, you're saved because of your position in Christ not your performance in your life. Alex, what does it say? That Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. You've been saved by works. No, what does it say? By what? By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm not seated with Christ because of how good I've been. I'm seated with Christ because of how good he's been. It's position over performance. And if you hold fast to the position that you have in Christ, if you hold fast to that confidence, oh, know that he's keeping you. He's got you. Don't you go back. Some of us today, we're tempted to go back to toxic friends, circles, relationships. We're trying to find validation. We're trying to find uh, sometime something of substance in our soul. We're trying to find somebody that can validate us, help us, and we're going back to all these things. Don't you go back. None of that can save you. Not another one-night stand, not another bottle. Nothing can save you, only Jesus. Hold fast to the confession. Don't you give up believing that Jesus is saved. Now, we're not saved by works, but we prove our salvation by works. Don't get it twisted either. It's not a license to sin. You keep on sinning, you're proving you've never been saved. Are you hearing me? Oh, I'm saved, always saved. That's not what it's saying. 
I can do whatever I want. No, you're saved. And because he saved me, because I'm good, I make sure my performance is right. My performance doesn't gain me salvation. My performance shows my salvation. But you're not saved because of what you do. You're saved because of what he's done. And he says, oh, hold fast to that confession and the boast in the hope. What does he mean? He means that over 2 million people did not believe in the desert and they died after 40 years. And none of them went into the promised land. They did not enter the rest, Canaan, the promised land, because of unbelief in their heart. And he goes, oh, be careful that today none of you have an evil, unbelieving heart. That's harsh words. Meaning, if we stop believing that Jesus can save us, it's evil. Evil. Why? Because now you've turned yourself into your own Savior. Oh, Jesus can't save me. Oh, I've been too bad. I've messed up too many times. Oh, really? Tell me how great you are. You can save yourself. That's an evil, unbelieving heart. And you're giving yourself way more credit than you should give Jesus. And he's saying there were two. Two gave up, didn't give up the hope. They were Joshua and Caleb. And they said, in spite of the trouble ahead, in spite of the winds, waves, and oppositions, we believe that if God said it, he'll take us to the promised land. And out of two million people, only two enter the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Be like them. Don't give up the faith. You keep walking because Jesus, he's saving you. That's why Jude writes in the New Testament, Jude chapter 1, Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be the glory, be the majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It is only Jesus that saves me. It is only Jesus that keeps on saving me. It is only Jesus that's going to get me into eternity eternity it's not my works it's not my power it's all glory to Jesus Christ he did it once and for all forever amen amen and amen and so I trust in him and I hold fast to that confidence he's got me he's got me he's never gonna let me go the winds and waves may come but I'm centering my life on the only one that saves me my salary won't do it my job won't do it my business won't do it it's only Jesus Look to him. Center your life on him. Because he's building you. He's keeping you. And he's going to make sure you go into rest. You're going to go into rest. Chapter 4 goes into this talk of rest. And we'll finish with this. And with this, I land the plane. I promise we're almost out. Hebrews chapter 4. Look what he says. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He's going to end the second section by saying this. Therefore, since Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses was a great deliverer. But Jesus, a better deliverer. Why? Because Moses never entered the promised land. I don't know if you remember or not. He's like, I, I would hate to spoil your party there in your, in your home church that you have in Italy. And you're probably eating that dish that Alex ate too. And it's phenomenal. But if you remember, Moses didn't enter the promised land. There's a better deliverer named Jesus. Oh, he's going to get us into the promised land. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Okay, what is he saying? Only two listen, Joshua and Caleb. Don't be like the rest that didn't listen. 
there's still a promise of us going into rest. And he's going to go into this whole explanation of rest. There's a rest for God's people. Just like the people of God, after they all died in the desert, a new generation came that believed Joshua, and Joshua crossed them over into the promised land. But what happened? When Joshua got into the promised land, you have to catch this. When Joshua enters the promise, thousands of years ago, look what happens. Hebrews chapter 4, go down to verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. In other words, they finally made it to the promised land, but Joshua goes, oh, there's another day that's coming. What is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no man may fall by the name of that same sort of disobedience. What is he saying? Yes, the people of God entered the rest, but he says there's a greater rest that is coming. All throughout scripture, we see this mention of rest. And the Hebrew writer, he's going to go into it now because these people that are reading this letter, they know the Old Testament. Right? Where do we see rest all throughout Scripture? Well, it starts in Genesis. The Bible says that after God made the world, right? After he made Lolita, after he made flamingos, after he made all of that, God rested on the seventh day, right? He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. Job is done. So he rested. And he wanted the people of God to understand rest. So what did he say? Hey, once out of every seven days, you're going to rest. And he called it the Sabbath. The Jewish people have always practiced the Sabbath to this day. To this day, they practice the Sabbath. You go to Israel today, on a Saturday, they're not doing anything. They can't do anything. They're resting. Why? When you rest, it means you're trusting that God's got you. It's profound what he's telling them. Listen, it's profound. The Sabbath means I can't work another day because I will kill myself. I'm going to rest and trust that he's my provision. He's my provider. He's got me. And so they practice the Sabbath. It's what Canaan was supposed to represent. Hey, you can now rest in the new land. But they were disobedient in the new land. So there remains a rest. What is this rest? The rest is that you and I have been restless our entire lives. Why? Because we've been trying to get to God by our own works, by our own merits. Well, I'm going to try really hard this week. I'm going I'm to make sure I, I don't curse. I'm going to make sure I don't wave at somebody on the highway with one finger when they cut me off. I'm, I'm going to try really hard. That's going to leave you more anxious and more stressed because you're trying to save yourself. Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, one of his final words was, it is finished. Went down to a grave for three days, then he ascended and he sat down at the right hand of the Father because it's done. And Jesus is basically saying, if you trust me, you can rest. You can rest. Hey, Hebrews, why are you going back to synagogues and priests and slaughtering animals? Rest in him, the wire, the anchor, he's got you. He's building you, number one. He's, he's keeping you, number two. And number three, he's sustaining you. He's going to give you rest for your soul. And if you go back, it's you trying to gain salvation somewhere else but in Jesus. And you're not going to find it in the synagogue. You're not going to find it in the priest. You're not going to find it in ox, goats, or bulls. You can only find it in the sacrifice of King Jesus. Oh, Moses did it into the promised land. But Jesus is now taking us to a greater promised land. And it's eternal rest in earth. And it's eternal rest in eternity forever. He is the better deliverer. He is the 
greater Moses. He is the better Joshua. He's Jesus Christ, our King. And if you trust him, you can have rest for your soul. Today, as the band comes up and we close up and we finish, today, I'm not restless. I'm not trying on my own. I'm not trying to put on a good performance to see if I get in good with God. I put in a good performance because he got me in when I didn't deserve it. I live my life faithfully to him because he showed me grace when I didn't earn it. Oh, Jesus, he brings me. He brings me peace. If I trust in him, the anchor, if I trust in him, and I center my life on him. I don't look back. I move forward. I don't look back to what I left behind. I look forward to Jesus, the solution. I trust he's got me. He's sustaining me. He's given me rest for my weary soul. Augustine said that the human heart is restless until we find rest in him. Uh, you, turn on, you turn on the news. You look around social media. You, you just got to look at coworkers. Everybody's restless. Everybody's tired. Everybody, they're all trying to do something. What can save us? What can help us? What can bring peace to our soul? Nothing except Jesus. He's the only one that can bring rest, peace for your soul. Today, are you restless? Are you tired? Have you been trusting yourself, your own works, how good you are? Are you tempted to go back and give up on Jesus? Look to him. He's the only one that you can trust. The Hebrew writer is saying Jesus is the better communicator but he's also the better deliverer. See, Moses, Moses was born into slavery, but then became royalty. Jesus was always royal, but then became a slave for us. Moses, he turned water into blood that they could not drink, but Jesus, he turned water into wine to satisfy the human soul. Oh, Moses, God through him parted the Red Sea so they could walk through it, but Jesus, Oh, he walked on the water because he is God. Moses in the desert to bring healing to physical bodies, he raised up a bronze servant. Jesus, he raised himself up on a cross to heal the soul. Oh, Moses, he delivered from Pharaoh, but Jesus, he delivers from sin. Oh, come on, he's the better deliverer. Oh, I'm telling you, there's a better deliverer named Jesus. You can trust him. You can look to him to bring peace for the soul. Nothing else in this world will deliver us. Nothing else will bring peace. It's only King Jesus. He's the better Joshua. He's the better Moses. He's the better deliverer. Call on him. He's the answer. He's King. He's God. He's Jesus and Jesus alone. Come on, with every, everybody lifted on your feet, why don't we sing this out? And you're building a house. You're building this house. Jesus, the, the great architect, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. And you hold us in your hands. You promise that nothing will ever pluck us out if we hold fast to our confidence. Only you can save us. Consider Jesus. God, we center our lives down on you. We don't want to just think about you on a Sunday. We want to think about you every day. Constantly have you before us. Wonderful counselor. Prince of peace. Everlasting father. God, to you be all the glory. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for keeping us saved. Even when we're prone to wander. 
hold fast to the confidence you've got us. Thank you, God. Whatever your eye closed, whatever your head bowed, we're leaving in just a moment. If you're here today and you feel far from God, if you're here today and you say, Alex, this sounds great, but I got sin in my life. You have no idea what I've been through, what I've done. You're right, I don't, but God does and he still loves you. God loves you. God loves you so much. He made sure you were in the building today or connected online to make sure you hear this. God loves you. He's deeply, madly in love with you. But the Bible says we're all sinners. I've sinned, you've sinned. Every single one of us, we've all sinned. We've all done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong. And sin has a heavy price. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. Because God is love, but is holy, and in his holiness, he has to judge sin. And so sin has come as a barrier between us and God. Sin has created a division, but God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus came and he grabbed all of my sin, your sin. The things people know about, the things nobody knows about. Every single sin. The Bible says that Jesus carried it on his shoulders. He went up on a cross and he died for our sins. Sin has a heavy price. And we can play with sin if we want to, but the Bible warns us. For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Sin will kill you slowly, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and end up physically killing us. But Jesus says, I'll take death so that you can have life. Jesus died on that cross. The Bible says he literally bled out. His heart stopped on that cross. They brought him down off the cross. They put him in a grave. He was in a grave for three days, but after three days, Jesus Christ, he resurrected. He's alive. I believe with all my heart he's alive. Today he wants to bring you peace. Not halfway peace, true peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Today he wants to give you hope. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you a brand new beginning and a brand new start. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, in a moment of prayer, in a moment of privacy, if you're here today and you say, Alex, I need Jesus. Alex, I need forgiveness for my sins. I've wandered. I've, I know I'm separated from God. I know I've done wrong. I need God to forgive me. I want to be part of that family, that house. Put your confidence in him. With every eye closed, I'm going to count to three. If that's you, if you say, Alex, pray for me. I want forgiveness. I need forgiveness. I want to be part of God's family. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to give you a mic. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I just want to see who I'm praying for. Hold up your hand for a few seconds. I'll see you, and then you can put it right back down. Hands already going up. One, two, three. Raise your hand as high as you can, as high as you can. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, I see you. God bless you, God bless you. Awesome, awesome. You can put your hands back down. Amazing. If you're watching online, you raise your hand right there where you're at. Let us know in the chat you're making this decision. We got pastors and leaders that would love to pray for you. But every eye closed, every head bowed. Come on, it's one family, one house. Let's say this prayer together. We're putting our trust and our confidence in him. After I pray, I'm going to ask Pastor Phil to come up here and talk to us about a free gift that we have for everybody making this decision and you're joining the family today. Eyes closed, head bowed. Repeat this out loud. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Today I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Jesus, come on, say Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. 
that you died for my sins and on the third day you resurrected come into my life be my lord and be my savior from today on i'm forgiven i'm saved and i'm healed in jesus name We're so proud of you, so honored to be able to be a part of this moment. And for everybody that raised your hand, we really believe this. It's the greatest decision of your entire life. But we also know that there's some questions. And maybe you're wondering, what is my next step? And the thing is, all of us have a next step. And if you raise your hand, we believe you have one as well. And here's what I do. We want to help you navigate what that is. So after service, don't go straight to your car. The Dolphins game doesn't start just yet. You still got a couple minutes. But we want to help you figure out what your next step is. So behind me, you'll see a little, there's Rose right there. She's one of our amazing dream team. She's going to be right behind that Connect Team tent. And there's an amazing team with her. And they want to give you a gift, which you can also see on the screen. And that gift is just, we just want to honor you. We want to make this day special for you. But there's also things in that gift that can help you navigate, whether it's joining a team, whether it's joining a connect group. You can figure all that stuff on your own. We want to help you make those decisions. So go outside, get a gift from us to you. And we hope that you have an amazing, amazing day. For the rest of us, let's stay connected to Jesus this week. Come on, what can we do this week? Something practical. Maybe it's less Netflix, more prayer. Maybe it's, it's I'm going to read a, a, a chapter before I go to sleep. Whatever it is in your life, let's stay connected to Jesus and have more peace, have more strength in our life, and live better every single day. We're going to sing one more time, but let's pray. We're going to pray for your week. Why don't you lift up our hands? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that was spoken. We thank you for the book of Hebrews that's teaching us, it's challenging us this, this series, Lord Jesus. We pray this week, God, that you would help us to look more like you wherever we go, with our family, in our workplaces, God. We just pray that you would help us be better every single day. So as we leave this church, we know that we're leaving a building, that the church is on the move. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. Today we pray. Amen. Let's sing one more time, church. We'll see you next time.